Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together. Father God, indeed, we do need you. Far more than we can understand. You created us to be with yourself. You created us to be in relationship with you. You created us for yourself. And outside of that, we are nothing. Outside of you, we are nothing. Father God, we try so hard to live outside of that. We try to rely on ourselves. We make our own plans. We take ourselves so seriously. And God, all you've done is just asked us to be with you, to trust you. So Father God, we just ask that you would help us to see our need and help us to trust that we can rely on you. Father God, as we dig into your word this morning, we pray that you would speak, that you would help us to see and understand a little more deeply who you are, what you've created us to be, and what you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. I want to open with a question this morning. Can we go where God can't reach us? Can we travel too far to ever come back? Or can we be lost in our sin too deeply for God to forgive us? And while we might know the right answer to some of those questions very quickly off the top of our heads, do we live like that's true? Do we trust God to reach us? This morning we're going to be continuing our series, Kingdom Stories, looking at the parables of Jesus, the stories that he told us to try to describe his father to us. To show us who and what we are in relation to him. What this life is meant to be. What we're created for and how we can experience that. Our whole theme for this year has been building off of our mission statement. Walking intimately with God. And in these stories Jesus is describing to us exactly what that looks like. And what it can be like when we do. The glory and wonder and majesty of living in submission to our Father. In right relationship with Him. Experiencing and enjoying His presence and His purpose in our lives. The last time I preached a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the rich fool. And after I got home, my wife Carla said to me, boy, you really spent a lot of time qualifying and almost apologizing for what you were going to say this morning. And I said, I, I didn't know where else to start other than to basically apologize and try to explain that everything I'm about to say are things that I struggle with too. Because that was a heavy story. Jesus in that parable is calling out some of the deepest core issues of our life and our priorities. He's calling out that the things we so often pursue 
as if they were most important, are not only not important, but if our focus isn't riveted on God and his kingdom, they're even wrong. The things we care about and value are wrong. And it's scary stuff because the consequences are real and serious, but God is good. And he is gracious. And as we allow him and his word to penetrate our hearts and soften our spirits, those hard truths don't hurt so much. And in fact, we even begin to long for them because truth is good. And it leads us to life and wholeness even as it challenges us and asks us to reorient our lives. But this morning we come to a parable that is almost the opposite of that rich fool. The parable of the prodigal son. A story not so much of warning and challenge, but of hope and freedom. A story that reminds us of the depth of God's love for us, of his desire for relationship with us, of our selfishness and foolishness, that we just don't get it. We don't see and understand the weight of our sin and our decisions, but that God is greater than all of that. And his love is greater than everything. But turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 15. You'll find the story starts in verse 11. And the story comes toward the end of Jesus' ministry. In just a couple of chapters, we come to the triumphal entry and the beginning of the end as he journeys through that week to the cross. The gospel of Luke is full of the, the teachings of Jesus. And this parable falls in the middle of a long stretch of Luke's records of Jesus' teachings and prophecies and parables and debates with leaders. And here Jesus is surrounded with tax collectors and sinners. And again, Jesus is just so compelling because these people were not repelled by him. They were fascinated. It says at the beginning of the chapter that they were gathering around to hear him. Jesus never pulled any punches. He was telling the truth and calling out sin. But his presence and his heart and his love was so clear that even when he was calling these people out, they were hungry to hear it. Except the Pharisees who were muttering while he was doing this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a scandal to share the love of God with people who need it. But never mind, we know about them. And in response to these Pharisees, Jesus tells them some stories. And we come to this story here in verse 11. Jesus continued, it says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a different country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called out to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has been back, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But with this son, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. It's a powerful story. It's perhaps one of the most familiar parables, at least in name anyways. But really, in this story, there are two parables, one for each of the brothers, and there are extremely important things for us to understand in what Jesus was telling us about each of them. But Jesus begins with describing the younger son, describing for us the depth of God's mercy and grace. And again, he's talking to the Pharisees here, but these crowds are, are gathered and are listening and hearing the heart of God in this story. And he wants them to see that God longs to forgive, to restore, to show mercy and grace. The younger son asks for his inheritance, a request that could not be more insulting. It could not be more selfish. Selfish. 
more degrading to his father and his family. The depth of his entitlement, the unbelievable arrogance would have devastated his father. The son is showing no value in relationship with his father. He only wants his money. What he thinks he's entitled to, what he's owed. The father would have been building this business, this estate, for his whole life, and he would have received some of it from his own father. This is a family business, and going back generations, they are building something together, and this son just erases all of that. Forcing his father to sell off portions and taking the money. It's an insult to the heart of his father. An insult to family, to heritage, to honor, to community, to relationship. It's devastating. And did he understand what all of that meant when he made that demand? Did he truly understand what he was doing? Of course not. We rarely understand the full consequences of our actions when we act selfishly because we're not seeing beyond the end of our own noses in those moments. We're only thinking about ourselves. Using people for our own purposes. Destroying people and lives and relationships to get what we want in the moment. And with this demand, the son destroys relationship with his father. In ways so deep and profound that it's hard to imagine and understand the depth of hurt and sorrow that his father would have felt again. This is family, heritage, honor, community, relationship. And his son just so casually and selfishly dismisses all of that. But his father does it. He divides the property. He gives his son what he wants. Even though he knows how wrong all of this is, he allows his son to make the choice that he wants to make. But then not only does the son not even remotely appreciate the unbelievable, unreasonable generosity and graciousness and sacrifice of his father and his family by doing something positive with the resources, building something, serving someone... Or even just saving it and being somewhat responsible. He flat out wastes it all. Until there's nothing left. And he's starving. Feeding pigs and envying the slop and scraps that they have. The depravity. The selfishness. The waste, the loss, the brokenness of it all, it's, it's hard to read. But finally, he comes 
to his senses. And he understands what he has done and his heart is turned to repentance and a desire to submit. To humble himself and seek forgiveness. And he understands the depth of the hurt that he has caused because in a flash of uncharacteristic wisdom, he sees that he's not deserving of the place he had. And he only desires to return as as a servant. There's genuine repentance there, genuine humility, genuine recognition of the hurt that he has caused. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up and went to his father. Do you see your sin like that? Do we understand the hurt we have caused our Father? How we have done that? Do we understand what it is we've done? What we've thrown away? The life and relationship and value that we have discarded, created in the image of God to be in perfect relationship with Him, needing, wanting nothing. We've insulted our Father in the deepest most profound, most devastating way possible. He gave us everything and we threw it back in his face. But God is amazing. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran To his son. Threw his arms around him. And kissed him. The son's heart has changed. But the father didn't even know that yet. He didn't have a chance to say anything. The depth of God's love for us. Is so far beyond our ability to understand. That we can't even begin to comprehend. God loves you more than ever. Anything in the world, right here, right now, today. He always has and he always will. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how bad you think you are or beyond redemption you've decided you are, God loves you as much as he possibly can right now and that has never changed. And it never will. The father runs to his son before he says anything. Before he apologizes. Before he gets to say his little speech that he has prepared. Before anything. God is running to him. God is not waiting for you to come and grovel. Even though that's absolutely the least Of what we ought to be doing. He runs to his son. 
to embrace him, to hold him, to pour his love on him. Because he is bigger than all of it. God is so much bigger than our rejection. He's bigger than our pride. He's bigger than our selfishness. He's bigger than our sin. He doesn't need us. But he knows we need him. He didn't create us for his own sake because he was missing something. He created us to share himself. He created us for our sake. So that we can experience him. So that we can know love and life. And so he can forgive in ways more radical than we deserve because it doesn't make him less. It doesn't make him weaker. It just makes us whole again with him. The son tries to get out his little speech and the father isn't even listening. I have sinned against you. I am not worthy. And the father is yelling right over top of him. Go, get the best robe, prepare a feast. His forgiveness is automatic and absolute. Before the son was able to say anything, God cannot be hurt by us. We can make him sad. He grieves when we hurt, when we sin, because he knows it's worse for us, but we cannot make him less. And so his forgiveness doesn't take something away from himself, it just makes us whole again. When we forgive, we still have needs too. We're fallen, we're small, we're broken. And so the trust that is broken when someone sins against us, the hurt that we have experienced is still there. And the forgiven, forgiveness we offer is, is smaller and broken. It comes with qualifications and uncertainty and fear and sometimes even bitterness because we're broken too. But God, God is infinite. And God is complete in himself. He needs nothing. He fears nothing. And he only wants you to experience the fullness and wholeness of life that he created you to have. And he's offering it if we'll come to our senses. There is nothing that can take you out of God's reach. There is nothing that can put you beyond God's love and forgiveness. Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. There is nothing God does not see. There is nowhere we can go to hide from him. And in one sense, that's terrifying. Because we all have things we wish we could hide. But it is the deepest and most profound comfort that no matter what, God is there. Even when we don't want him to be, but especially when we need him, he is there. God is love and he loves you. And if you will submit, if you will see what you have done, if you will return to him, as scary as that might feel, the son didn't know how the father was going to respond. Would he be angry? Would he punish him right then and there? Would he turn him away? He didn't know. But as scary as it might feel, if you will turn to him, you will find that God has already forgiven you. And you will find him waiting with a celebration bigger than you can imagine. But there are two brothers in this story. When Jesus once again is unbelievable in his insight into human nature. It's almost like he created us or something. And he identifies something in this older brother's heart that is so easily present in our own. The older brother might have stayed and served, but his heart was no different than his younger brother. It turns out, even while he was there living and serving and working with his father, his heart was full of all the entitlement and selfishness that his brother had. He papered over it with service and faithfulness, but he was not truly enjoying relationship with his father. He felt like he was earning something. That he was owed something. Just because you come to church. Just because you give. Just because you serve or because you deny yourself certain things that you think make you holy or better than someone else. Doesn't mean you are in relationship with God. God doesn't want your stuff or your behavior. He wants your heart. And that results in all kinds of change. And we will serve and we will love and we will care and we will give and we will gather and we will do all these things. But they are the result of that heart change. The evidence of it. Those behaviors and actions don't fix anything. The heart is the core. Relationship, connection with God is the key. And both brothers had lost sight of that. And if you're careful, we can fall into the same selfishness and bitterness as the old 
brother, even as we do all the right things. What God cares about is different from what we care about. The brother cared about all that family and honor and legacy and wealth stuff. The father only cared about relationships. Are your priorities the same as our Father's? Or does He need to work in your heart to shape them toward His? God is love. And His love is infinite and His love is everything we need and He's inviting you to come enjoy it. This morning we're going to celebrate communion, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The exact display of just how far our Father was willing to go to save us. That He came running to us. There was no limit to His love, even to the extent of laying down His own life while we were still sinners. Christ died for us so that we can live. In 1 Corinthians it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. That you reached out to us before we even understood or knew what we needed. You made a way back to the relationship that we were created for. And through the sacrifice of your son, you made that possible. We take this together to remember that. Amen. Let's partake together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that we are under this new covenant, this covenant of life, paid for with blood. This covenant of freedom, of hope, of abundant eternal life. We thank you for Jesus' willingness to submit to your will. We pray, Father, that you would help us to see. Amen. Let's take together. Father God, we cannot begin to understand your love for us. We cannot begin to understand why you put up with us. Father, we thank you that you are willing to forgive, but 
I don't understand why you keep forgiving me. As I fail and fall into sin and selfishness and fear over and over. But God, I thank you. Help us to see and understand the depth of your love. That we can live in that place. And even more that we can share it. That we can be agents of your grace and forgiveness and love. That people will experience who you are and your heart for them through us. As we live and love and forgive in this radical way that you have given us the example. Father, we pray that you would forgive us again when we need it. Help us to learn and grow. That we can live in holiness. We can embrace the fullness of life that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.